This episode of Thinking Through Autonomy is in partnership with the Eno Center for Transportation. Eno is an independent nonprofit think tank focused on transportation. As an organization, Eno shapes public debate on critical multimodal transportation issues and builds an innovative network of transportation professionals. Eno's Aviation Working Group is a standing advisory group on all matters related to aviation policy. In their latest report, Bridging the Gap, Sustaining UAS Progress While Pursuing a Permanent Regulatory Framework will inform today's discussion. Welcome to Thinking Through Autonomy, a podcast to help you understand the promise and impact of autonomous land and air vehicles in our world. I'm Ken Dunlap, Managing Partner of Catalyst Go, taking you on this journey. Hear and read more at thinkingthroughautonomy.com. Now it's time to take your hands off the wheel foot off the pedal, hand off that throttle, and let's go. In this conversation, we'll be speaking to Danielle Rinsler, Head of Aviation Policy, and John Ilson, Head of Aviation Safety for Uber. In our conversation, we're going to focus on Uber's unique perspective on unmanned aircraft gained from their initiatives in urban air mobility, or what you might hear called UAM. In any way I look at it, Uber's groundbreaking Elevate program is single-handedly responsible for ushering in the age of UAM. It presents an entirely new mode of transportation, and that's brought breakthroughs in technology to aviation. Both Danielle and John are internationally recognized experts in unmanned aircraft systems, systems integration, safety, and airport operations. Welcome. Thank you. Danielle, I want to start this conversation with you, because when I think about Uber, my mind immediately clicks on ride sharing and that car that drives up to me while I'm standing on the curb. I'm sure that listeners might be surprised that one of the other transportation modes Uber is investing in is aviation, things that fly. And I'm just wondering, can you share with us what Uber is doing in the aviation space? Yes, Ken. Yeah, it's similarly surprised when I first heard that Uber was in investing in an aviation product. So I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about it. It's, I think, from its humble beginnings uh, with a few cars, Uber has obviously scaled to a global ride sharing application that's really change the way people move in cities and around the globe. So Elevate is Uber's vision to take transportation off the grid and move ride sharing into the sky. Another new product available through the app called Uber Air. And in the coming years, our goal is to launch this product and enable people to get a flight uh, just like they do today, calling um, Uber through the app, but they can now with a push of a button depending on where they're located, they can secure Uber Air service. So our vision is really possible, frankly, due to advancements in electric battery technology that are propelling investments in, um, we'll probably talk a lot about electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft or eVTOLs. And these aircraft really can transform the way we think about urban air taxi services from what's you know typical helicopter type services in an urban environment that are really constrained due to their high level of noise and the high cost of uh, operating helicopters. eVTOL have the potential to really transform the urban, what we're, what, what's known as urban air mobility and really enable a product that's low emissions, zero emissions actually in flight 
and low noise uh, and one that can scale potentially to everyday use and in, in from some points within an urban center. Danielle, when we're talking about Elevate, we're talking about something that exists off paper, aren't we? We're talking about manufacturers that are testing vehicles. We're talking about batteries that are being produced and researched. Can you just maybe give us a scope of what Elevate is looking at and how far away from the paper it actually is? There, a lot of folks like to say it's closer than you think. It's very true. Uh, in the United States, the, the Federal Aviation Administration uh, has a number of aircraft that are in the type certification process now, a number of electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. So we are seeing huge investments in this space as battery technology has evolved. You know, we're probably about three years away from seeing some meaningful service and commercial service and about a year away from some of the uh, manufacturers actually testing their EV tolls in the U.S. And so starting some testing with NASA and with FAA through various programs. NASA is called Advanced Aerial Mobility, but they're doing quite a bit of work to help advance the industry. And also the Department of Defense is, is doing a lot of partnering with the private sector now to help test and demonstrate the capabilities of these aircraft in the United States for various use cases. And just to help me get my arms around this, are we talking about picking up the app and maybe planning a multimodal trip from city to city, or is this flying inside a city, you know, maybe from one man end of Manhattan to the other, or maybe, you know, from one end of San Francisco to the other side of the Bay? I mean, what what does this thing called urban air transport look like when I'm going to pick up my app? It's a great question. With the VTOL, where there's really like probably a typical or optimal trip length of 20 to 60 miles. Some of the range of the vehicles is from 60 to roughly 100 miles on, on at least the Uber vehicle design reference. So we really are working with a number of OEMs to design vehicles that can serve a 60 to 100 mile market range, speeds of about 150 to 200 miles per hour and cruise. And there are a couple of reference trips similar to the downtown Manhattan to JFK market that you referenced. That's a shorter haul market. So in, in some locations like Los Angeles to LAX and the Manhattan to JFK are shorter trips. But typical market will be about 20 to 60 miles. One reference is Frisco Station to Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, which uh, is a, an approximately 26-mile ground trip that can take over an hour. With an Uber Air product, it could take approximately eight minutes. So we really have the potential to transform the way people are traveling in an urban area and, and um, cut through the congestion with, with this product. Danielle, you haven't mentioned the word airport or airline yet. Is that because you're not going to be competing with an airline? This is actually something to serve routes that don't exist right now, and, and the Uniteds, the Americans of the world, don't have to worry about it? Yeah, exactly. I think this is a new type of aviation in an, in an urban and regional environment, and it's intended to supplement the existing core ground transportation and transit systems that exist today in cities. The long-term goal is to reduce congestion on some key routes by batching passengers 
together into an EV tall. And instead of having four single occupant vehicles on the ground on a congested route, you can now provide the time travel savings to those people, but you can also improve their overall commutes and commutes of other folks on the ground. But in terms of the airlines, it's really complementary. John, I'd like to focus just a little bit more on Uber Elevate. Daniel told us about the amazing connectivity that it offers and lessening the environmental impact from transportation. But I also have a picture in my head of this vehicle with the four propellers that's carrying me and my friends and maybe my golf clubs uh, to the nearest resort maybe. And I guess I'm kind of wondering, can you describe Uber Elevate? Is it what does it do with the vehicle? You know, how is it bringing all these incredible technologies together? How are you getting people to talk about this? Well, thanks, Ken. That's a great question. Um, since its inception, Elevate's been bringing together different stakeholders to create the ecosystem required to support urban air mobility, just as Danielle described. Um, we're partnering with um, manufacturers, OEMs. We're, we're partnering with um, infrastructure, uh, those uh, companies that can help us create the necessary infrastructure. Uh, of course, working with the FAA, NASA, and other agencies, as well as training organizations, trying to put the whole package together. Uh, we know that creating a system that can safely and efficiently complete the mission that we're looking uh, to achieve is is a huge task. We can't do it alone. So by bringing in these partners and working together, um, we're, we're uh, analyzing the situation as it is today, doing the research and and designing uh, requirements uh, that, that will build the system in the future. So John, I, I also have this picture in my head that I have seen a helicopter, a black helicopter with bold white letters saying Uber going across it. And I think that might have been in New York City. Did I really see that? And what are you guys doing in New York City? Well, I suspect you did see it. Um, and um, uh, up until a few months ago, we were operating uh, Ubercopter in New York, uh, taking people from Manhattan to JFK Airport uh, using the multimodal model that Danielle described. So um, someone in Manhattan, for example, if they wanted to get to JFK, could look on the Uber app and choose between a conventional uh, ground trip using our ride service or um, uh, the uh, Ubercopter service, which incorporated first and last mile journeys in a car uh, with the helicopter flight in the middle. Uh, so the scenario would, would involve a car picking you up at your uh, departure point, taking you to a uh, heliport uh, in downtown Manhattan, where you would check in, be boarded on the aircraft uh, within um, a matter of minutes. The aircraft would make the nine or 10 minute flight over JFK, where a car would be waiting to take you to um, uh, the terminal that, that you would, where you would be departing from. So we've put a lot of work into understanding how that multimodal journey works. And I know if Ken, you're familiar with passenger facilitation, um, getting the flight ready, all the paperwork, um, uh, flight load manifests and things like that, briefing passengers so that the trip can be conducted safely, getting all that choreographed in a way that saves time, but doesn't compromise on, on safety or efficiency. Sure. And John, if helicopters are today, and I think to that vehicle that has the four rotors and looks very futuristic, what are you learning today through working, you know, in the helicopter business that's going to apply to where you have full-blown UAM and you have vertiports 
and you have pretty constant traffic going, um, you know, from point A to point B. Well, the, I mean, the helicopter project has been extremely beneficial in helping us understand um, how to connect those three segments that I just described. Um, the and it just in some uh, ways the eVTOL aircraft will will fly similar profiles. They will take off and land vertically, uh, and then transition to um, horizontal flight. What is yet to be determined is how we integrate the uh, traffic that we anticipate uh, in a scaled operation in the future into the airspace. So whether we will continue to use uh, routes that might segregate this type of traffic from uh, other the commercial air, air traffic, such as the airlines would be flying, or, or whether there's uh, more of an integrated model. And a lot of work is being done to understand how that, how that profile uh, will look in the future. And of course, you know, I've got to follow up with two questions on here. The first question, as you said, eVTOL. What yeah. is eVTOL? And second, how real is all of this? Is this a science experiment? Or is this something that's coming to the big building near me very soon? Well, it's certainly more than a science experiment. A lot of work is being done. Prototypes are being flown. Um, uh, we're working on system requirements, as I said. And um, uh, in our um, uh, vision, uh, eVTOL and urban air mobility, first of all, eVTOL is electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. Um, uh, the technologies are rapidly advancing. And, and we believe that um, in the next three to four years, uh, there will be a launch of a, of a commercial service in a, in a major metropolitan area. Um, and that will grow over time, uh, just as aviation has traditionally grown uh, in the past. Uh, but the technology is certainly very real and, and the rate at which that technology is, is uh, evolving and, and, and uh, the vision is being refined, I think gives me great confidence that this is something that's, that is very real. And if um, a three to four year time frame is what you would refer to as very soon, I'd say that, yeah, it's, it's, it is uh, as you would expect. Now, John was just talking about, and you were just saying that urban air transportation is three to four years away. And yet we're talking about aviation and aviation is an industry that goes back like a hundred years. Uber finds itself now as this new kid on the block flying vehicles that no one else has flown, using electric power to, to power these vehicles. And, and Daniel, I'm just wondering, you know, what, what is it like walking into the FAA or the Department of Transportation or sitting down with all these giant aviation companies with rich storied histories being, you know, the, the new kid on the block? Yeah. I mean, I think when I first heard that Uber was pursuing an aviation product, I was intrigued. And the more I learned about the team at Uber, it gave me more confidence that the vision uh, to create this product is real. And they've, and they've got um, some of the, the best and the brightest in the industry working toward uh, the long-term vision. So um, it's interesting. There are a number of folks on our airspace team who hail uh, from NASA, our chief scientist uh, hails from NASA and, and is considered 
the brains behind distributed electric propulsion. So we've we've got an amazing team of folks. I hail from the aviation industry with more than 20 years of experience in airport planning and development, working with, with cities um, and communities on airport projects uh, throughout the country. You know, John Ilson comes from a rich background in, um, as, a, as a commercial aviation pilot, having worked at both IATA and ICAO. We've got quite a crew of experts from across the industry. To the extent that you're coming from an industry where everybody says, well, we got to move fast and break things, when you walk into places like DOT and FAA, how do you convince them that you're different, that you're not going to move fast and break things as you go and you explore this new technology and as you try to integrate these vehicles into the national airspace system? Yeah, uh, it's a big part of what I do <laughs> uh, day to day is, is really helping um, and it's not just educating policymakers, it's like working collaboratively with, with policymakers to help them solve what are some really like legitimately tough and challenging questions to enable this type of aviation future. I guess one thing I should have mentioned previously is that we are not doing this alone. So while Uber has assembled a pretty amazing team, and I think John mentioned this too, we're doing this through a partnership model uh, where we have eight and growing OEM partners who are designing the aircraft. Um, some of those are legacy companies like Boeing and Embraer, and others are new entrants like Joby and Overair and Jaunt Mobility. So we've got, and I'm, and I'm, I'm going to leave someone out unintentionally, but um, we've got an amazing group of uh, partners. So we're not doing this alone. And we're collaborating with NASA and FAA and other regulators across the globe on policy frameworks to enable this industry. Uh, we're working at the local stakeholder level as well. So there are lots of challenges uh, at the local level to think about how do you integrate uh, urban air taxi services using electric aircraft into uh, the existing urban transportation network. Uh, so there are lots of robust conversations happening at, at all levels of government um, in the U.S. and across the globe to help shape uh, and, and provide a path forward for these services, but one where we also are have higher level kind of public policy goals in mind. So it's really a collaboration between the various agencies and future operators like Uber. Let me ask you, though, to put on your regulator hat again, because as we talked at the start of this segment, you have a rich history working at the Department of Transportation, most specifically the Federal Aviation Administration. So you know how the feds think. And I just was wondering if you could help us, you know, maybe pretend you're sitting on the other side of the table and you're hearing these pitches about urban air mobility. Uh, about the need to take this new generation of vehicles and integrating with existing ones. What are you thinking about in terms of here are the opportunities that are presented for us, yet, you know, here are some of the challenges? What, what kind of goes through your mind, you know, as the, that government regulator? It's easy for me to put my FAA hat uh, on and sometimes I forget, <laughs> forget that I'm no longer on that side of things. But um, I will say the FAA and other uh, regulatory agencies have have a challenging job, right, to 
try to move um, fast enough for uh, the industry that is driving so much change in, in these new aviation technologies. So industry moves at a much faster clip than regulations typically. Uh, so part of that's a big part of the challenge, but right? But isn't it's, that a good thing though? Regulations not moving as fast, or does yeah, it work? no, I think the you know that the primary mission of these agencies is to maintain the safety of of the national airspace system, which includes uh, airports uh, and the airspace and you know people and property on the on the ground. So it's really really important that FAA maintain that that focus on safety and that operators like Uber and others really are committed to to a safety culture. And I would say that, you know, with John's under John Ilson's leadership, we've really achieved that. And we have adopted a lot of the, the traditional safety management systems that you would see in commercial aviation uh, that you don't see as often in um, the smaller sort of general aviation community, but we're adopting those within our future vision for Uber Air. To me, that's the process that says, hey, this is a safe vehicle to fly down to the nuts and bolts. And it's also, it's going to be operated safely with the right checklists and you can make copies of it. When you talk about type certification, I guess we should probably say, Hey, that's what our airliners go through. So it's it's got that level of scrutiny, right? Yeah, uh, I mean, our our partners are in various phases of type certification. Some are still prototyping vehicles. So we're we've been we announced Hyundai as a partner and at the Consumer Electronics Show back in January of 2020, and uh, so they are still prototyping vehicles. I'll say vehicles because they've recently announced um, kind of a broader vision than the reference vehicle that was rolled out at CES. But yeah, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a system. So once you've got the, the vehicles authorized, you also have to have the operator certifications and the facilities have to get permitted. So the landing facilities is a whole process to define the infrastructure standards for electric vertical takeoff and landing aircraft. Uh, can can we work within the existing framework of existing standards uh, for for infrastructure, whether those be heliport design or airport design standards, or do we need new vertiport standards? So that's uh, something that our former FAA colleagues are working very closely on right now with industry. But understanding how these aircraft operate and and the performance characteristics is is very important to a lot of those decisions that the regulators need to make. And then at the local and state level, there folks, uh, the permitting agencies are relying on the regulators, so the federal regulator to help define those standards and, and rely on those standards versus developing a separate set of standards at the local level, which, which would not be efficient nor ideal for anyone operating in this space. So there's a lot of work to be done, but there's a lot of uh, good people who are focused on trying to support this industry uh, and advancing the standards necessary from airspace considerations to, to the ground infrastructure standards. John, that is a perfect segue to talk about the topic of safety. One of the challenges that I, I think actually Uber has two ta- challenges in this. The first challenge is that you have a safety paradigm that extends through the entirety of a passenger journey that may start in one of your cars, go through a UAM, 
go through a helicopter and extend, you know, to, to another um, ride, another ride chair. And then you also have the safety challenge of the vehicle and how do you operate it safely and how do you integrate it into the airspace? How are you approaching this dual set of responsibilities when it comes to probably the single most important factor that people think about when they look up into the sky? Yeah, thanks, Ken. That's a great question. Um, so let me let me start with um, the multimodal aspect of this and, and creating a safe journey um, across all three legs um, of a of a normal trip on Uber Air. First and foremost, we have implemented within Uber Elevate a safety management system based on the uh, the ICAO requirements and the uh, the Part Five requirements here in the United States. Uh, just as um, a commercial air operator would implement safety management systems or SMS. What we found is that the SMS uh, components and elements in the, in the uh, framework used by air carriers fit our model very well. Nonetheless, they need to be tailored to our specific operating model. And um, in, in general, what that means is, uh, again, bear in mind that we're creating a, an ecosystem with a number of partners. So our safety management system uh, by definition, will be highly collaborative. Uh, we will work with our partners to develop uh, SMSs for uh, anyone providing or any organization providing a, uh, a safety-related product or service. And uh, the idea being that uh, if we do this in a standardized way, it will facilitate a coordinated approach to um, identify hazards, assess the risks, and um, implement any necessary mitigations. It will also lead to uh, what we hope to be very robust information sharing, which, you know, for those of us who have been involved in aviation for a fairly long period of time, uh, we've seen the benefits of um, sharing safety-related information through a number of different government and industry initiatives uh, over the past 15 or 20 years. So that's kind of the internal way we're looking at it within Elevate. Take that one level um, out, if you will. We also, within the Elevate uh, part of Uber, we work with our, our colleagues within the corporate safety uh, department, as well as um, our advanced technology group, which is uh, the part of Uber working on autonomous cars or autonomous uh, vehicles. They drive past my house. There you go. <laughs> and so the idea being, uh, again, um, that we collaborate with all the necessary stakeholders. So those responsible for um, safety in our traditional rides business are looped into what we're doing at Elevate and vice versa. We, we are working with them. And in fact, uh, we hope to be able to assist our colleagues in setting up an SMS-like system for um, Uber's traditional businesses as well. Um, and with ATG, a very similar concept in that we've got highly automated vehicles, uh, both on the ground and in the air, similar technologies to some degree. And so um, how can we implement safety management systems in parallel um, with that group so creating a safe journey across um, uh, all three legs of that, that trip that we see in the, in the very near future um, is something we're already working on quite well. John, and let me just follow up with one topic that has kind of been a thread through all of the segments on this podcast series. And that's striking a balance between the need to keep parts of this highly, highly technologically advanced industry protected, so trade secrets, versus the need to share. What I'm wondering is, John, what do you think it's going to take 
to build more transparency, to drop down the fear level that, hey, if I say something about my proprietary technology, one of my competitors is gonna take that and try to get an economic advantage. What, what are your suggestions and thoughts on that? Well, that's a very real concern and, and a great question. Um, and, you know, it wasn't that long ago when we went through the same type of exercise in the uh, traditional airline industry as well. And sharing information is not something that came uh, easily or naturally, but it developed over time. And we saw the, the real benefits. I think that um, as long as uh, we're in a research and development mode and we're developing aircraft, we're developing other technical capabilities, there is a lot of concern over proprietary information and that's understandable. I think that as we get closer to actually um, launching operations, um, that our industry and, and urban air mobility specifically um, needs to understand that what the lessons are, and uh, lessons learned are from uh, traditional aviation and the benefits of sharing safety information. But along with that, to speak to your question specifically, I would say there are two things we need to establish as quickly as possible to facilitate that process. One are the right types of policies so that we understand how any uh, sensitive data or sensitive information will be used or who will have access to that data or information. And the other thing is a high degree of trust. And that speaks to safety culture and something that we're working on in parallel. It's not something you can regulate. It's not something that um, um, you can easily test for, but you know it when you see it. And I think that the more um, the partners with whom we're working, uh, developing this ecosystem, understand the interdependencies and the need to work with one another, uh, the more they'll understand the need to find a way to share that safety data and that safety information uh, in a way that doesn't um, put their organizations or their people at risk. So I sense optimism. I am. I'm very optimistic. Good. I, yeah. I, I, I am and, and uh, wouldn't be here otherwise. Um, you know, having said that, there's a lot of work to be done. Um, but, you know, I think you made this point early in the discussion. Um, you know, the aviation industry has been so successful from a safety perspective. And, uh, you know, it's been recognized um, by many other industries as really setting the bar for safety. And when you look at the record, it's, it's extremely impressive. But it's because there's a lot of um, work that's put into this over the decades. And it's important for our industry to recognize those, those lessons learned and to um, follow suit bearing in mind that we're bringing new ideas and new thoughts to the table as well and finding a way to do that without disrupting what works. In the last few minutes we have, I want to ask you to break out your crystal ball, Daniel, and I want to maybe take this from the 30,000 foot level we were talking about previously, maybe to ground level. And with the idea that maybe in as early as three to four years, they're going to be UAM vehicles flying in the sky. I'm just wondering, you know, if you're that person on the ground, she picks up her phone, hits the button on the Uber app, has the ability to take one of these vehicles in a multimodal trip, or if, if you're someone on the ground looking up at one of these vehicles, what do you want them to think when they see the vehicle flying overhead? What needs to be that reaction they need to have that'll make you feel that, hey, we've covered all of our bases? When we, when we see that, when we get to that point in time, when you look up uh, and see one of these vehicles, I, my hope is that the reaction is, how cool. 
you know, we've achieved kind of sustainable urban air operations using electric aircraft. And isn't it amazing how the technology, the electric battery technology has evolved to the point where it's feasible for me to take an Uber air trip uh, and a congested route um, and secure all this time savings uh, and the convenience of being able to fly on an aircraft just by through the press of a button on my Uber app. I think I think hopefully that's the reaction that uh, how cool. <laughs> Thanks, Danielle. And John, the last crystal ball question goes to you. I want you to put on your international hat. You're a veteran of ICAO or the International Civil Aviation Organization, which is part of the United Nations. You know how countries operate. What does your crystal ball say about urban air mobility and the opportunities to move vehicles across borders, you know, cities that may be on either side of a border? Will those international rules get in place sooner rather than later? Or what, what, what is that crystal ball saying? My crystal ball saying it will happen. As far as the timelines, I think that's something that will happen um, after uh, domestic services have been launched and mature. Uh, as you know, uh, getting people and aircraft across borders entails another layer of, of process and, and coordination agreements between countries. Um, and there will have to be mechanisms in place to ensure that all the ICAO requirements as far as passenger facilitation and, and uh, rules of the air, et cetera, are being met. Um, will it happen? Yes. Um, and it may happen in areas where there are regional safety organizations set up for aviation that can better manage um, cross-border traffic uh, in, the, in the nearer term um, and then spread. I think, though, Ken, what we'll see is, um, is that as this industry begins to uh, um, mature and uh, stakeholders understand the benefits, uh, that will drive the, the, the need and motivate the government agencies and stakeholders to find a way to make it happen. And, and industry will be a large part of that. Um, so, you know, I think time will tell, but if you had to ask me uh, whether that would be something that would be in the cards um, initially, I would, I would venture to guess probably not, but it won't be long after. And I think again, um, as we see the benefit, especially in countries where ground travel can be very difficult and time consuming, and we're talking about um, use cases where we can provide social economic benefits, um, delivering medication or, or other, uh, getting people across borders that can help those in need for whatever reason, um, that will drive um, changes that facilitate um, the, the, an international model, if you will. Um, but again, um, that takes time and for good reason. We need to get it right, uh, but um, this opens up a, a whole new uh, capability. And, and once we understand how it can be leveraged to help people, we'll find a way to make that happen. John, Danielle, awesome, awesome discussion. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, I want to wish you and Uber much success. Thank you. Thank you Thanks, so much, Ken. Ken. Great to be with you.
This podcast is edited by Piper Creative. Piper works with startups, Fortune 500 companies, and everyone in between to produce podcasts, YouTube videos, and compelling digital media. Learn more at pipercreative.co.